Lord, we come to you humbly just thanking you for another day, Lord, another opportunity to dive into your word, Lord, to see the story of redemption played out, Father, as your son came down and, and made many miracles, Father, but ultimately pointing to a spiritual reality about ourselves, Father. As we look in this passage and seek to understand what you are saying to us, Father, I pray you open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to the truth, Father. For those of us who need to repent, Father, we're asking that repentance comes at the sound of your word, Father. Lord, we thank you so much again for your son, Jesus Christ, that you are not a distant deity, Father, but that you've come and you've dwelt with us, Lord, and you've lived among us, Father, and that you sent your son to die so that we can be redeemed with you, Lord. We thank you so much. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. 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 When we think of salvation in our culture, a great deal of the time we think, uh, we think salvation is more of a choice, right? You know, I think we, we've, we've all heard it, right? Just ask Jesus into your heart, okay? It's like, if you ask Jesus into your heart, <laughs> knock, knock, open the door, he'll be there, right? So you made the choice to somewhat be saved, right? The unfortunate part is that in that perspective, I think the Bible will hold a bit of a different perspective in this. But uh, as we think of salvation, we tend to think of it as a work that we do. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, there is responsibility that man has in regard to, a, to repentance uh, as it relates to salvation when they hear the word of God, right? And they turn to Jesus. But I think when we cross over that, we neglect that there's a reality about us that I think we tend not to take into account when we're thinking about salvation. And the reality is, con- is our condition before God. So here's the thing. You think of it. You got two people on a mountain, right? One person is on a mountain and and two people need to be saved from the mountain. Right. One person just for some odd reason, he just ran out of resources. He's scraping stuff up to survive. He has a satellite phone. So he calls somebody and they're like, OK, good. We're coming to pick you up. Right. He's like, OK, cool. Until they get here, I'm just going to, you know, ravage around for food. I got to find food until they come. Right. This person is, in a sense, somewhat sustainable until someone comes and gets them. Right. Think of the other person who's on a cliff, right? They're not actually on a cliff, though. They're falling from the cliff. See, in two different aspects, one is in a condition that still allows them to somewhat be sustainable. So if someone comes and saves them, he just kind of daps them up as he, gets on a, as he gets on the helicopter. Hey, man, appreciate it. Man, I was out there, you know, doing everything I could. Thankfully, you came and got me off, off of the mountain, right? Well, the other person that's fallen off of the cliff is in a completely different condition. See, they're not in a condition that allows them to be sustainable until somebody comes and get them. They're going to need somebody to grab them out of the air in order to save them. How much do we cling to salvation in one of these ways? Where Jesus came and saved us while we were sustaining and we had everything okay, but then he just kind of saved us from something ultimate later on. Or how many of us cling to us as we are going to die and it's imminent that we'll die. And there's nothing that we can do that can save us, but only God can. See, this is what this passage is holding out to us, that we have a condition before God, not a condition of we can do some things and then God will come up and kind of handle the rest of it. But the reality is that before God, we are completely and utterly helpless. That's what this passage is talking about, a spiritual blindness. See, it's talking about the condition of man's heart. The condition of man's heart in this passage would be described as being blind. We are blind and blind people cannot see where they're going. They don't see anything. They don't even see themselves correctly. So in this passage, as we look at Jesus making a miracle, which is beautiful, the miracle is great. But the primary purpose of this passage is not to show us that if you just pray to Jesus, he will heal your ailment. He can. But ultimately, this is heading to a spiritual reality. 
that before a holy and just God, we are absolutely and utterly blind. And we can't find our way to him. And we're helpless. And this is what this passage is talking about. And to help me kind of extract this point, I got three points that I want to preach from in this. Uh, The first one is the blindness we were born with. Secondly is the sight that we need. And thirdly is the one who gives sight to the blind. Very simple. Again, the blindness we were born with, the sight we need, and the one who gives sight to the blind. All right. For those of you who have not been here, we've been in this passage. We've been in John doing a series called A King's Life. There it is right there. And so we've been doing A King's Life, and we've just been walking through and seeing Jesus engage as he's, as he's done his earthly ministry. Right. We've seen so many things happen to him. And what happens is as he's going through with compassion on people, gets a bit of a following. We run into this again. Once again, this antagonistic group called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, they're like again, they're like the moral police. They think they're like the moral elites. They think they just got it all together and just got it handled. And they stand before Jesus and they just every time they're trying to catch Jesus. Right. And they say some one liners and Jesus comes and says one one liner. And then they're completely upset. And they're like, man, we got to kill this guy. He's just outsmarting us and then telling us exactly who we are before him. And that's the reality. These people have sought to just completely just not at all discount who Jesus is saying, who he is. And they're just trying to say that he's a liar. Because what he says about us, we don't believe. Therefore, he's not right. He's a sinner. He's a liar. And we need to kill him. And we get to this passage where Jesus, like right off of this in John 8, Jesus had just literally just got kind of kicked out of synagogue. He went up there and was just kind of like, hey, man, again, I'm God. All right. Can't accept it. Deal with it. And then they tried to, they tried to toss him out. Right. Jesus somehow just evades that. What's funny is in context, we don't know that in context, Jesus literally just got kicked out of the synagogue and he kind of hid himself so that they couldn't kind of get him. And then He's just walking and then just sees a blind man. Like, understand how these two stories kind of connect together. That, that it don't be, don't, just because one verse ends or one chapter ends, that, that's not how it was originally written. Jesus just literally came out of the synagogue and then, you know, he just kind of got off the synagogue, just kind of dusted himself off and said, oh, that's a blind man. Let me go heal him. Like, think, think of how funny this is that Jesus would come, he would see this man, which is very important. He would see this blind man. And as you come through, the disciples will ask God again, this is me summarizing. The disciples will come and be like, hey, Jesus, man, who sinned him or his him or his parents? And let me just address this real quickly. This has almost nothing to do with my sermon, but I feel like I have to say something about this. Is that they are coming to Jesus and they're saying that when sin is into the world or it's affected somebody in this way, it is because they've sinned. Or if this happened his, his entire life, he was blind, his parents sinned. There it is. Pretty much it's a one-to-one correlation. When something bad happens to you, it's because you sinned, and that's it. But Jesus casts that down really quickly and says, no, 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 no. More than this is about someone sinning, or this is a cause, this is more about a purpose. See, modern day, we would, we would think this, understanding this concept of karma, right? There's a reason why I feel like i got to address this, because I've heard so many people say in our context that karma, karma will come back around and get you, or, you know, God is karma, and he'll just come back and he'll, he'll grab you for doing that. Here's the problem I have with karma. One, it would think that karma is this other being outside of God that's seeking to even out the affairs of sinful man. It's like this force that's just walking around like, oh, man, Paul cussed out that person. I'm going to make someone cuss him out tomorrow, God. You know what I mean? It just kind of gives a wink. That's one aspect of it. That's really what some people actually think. The reason why I have a problem with that is because that would suggest that there's something other than God that has some type of some the the same type of authority on earth to actually even out certain scales and make this happen and make that happen because this happened and because that happened. And my Bible just doesn't say anything about that. 
So I just, I can't affirm that. But here's the second part about that. that I, when people talk about karma being God or God being karma, and this is just kind of God working, here's the problem. Every sin is a sin because it's a sin against the holy and just God. So whether I sin against you or not, I'm sinning against him first. So to think that God is on his throne as we are sinful to him and he will come down and say, I'm going to orchestrate so that you will learn your lesson because you cussed him out. He'll cut you out over there. You cut him off in traffic. So I'm going to have him cut you off over there. And then now that evens out the affairs of man. Let's be clear. He's the God of the universe. He'll kill us. There's no need for him to be an evil child on an anthill with a magnifying glass trying to make you run from side to side because you did something wrong. God is a holy and just God. Sin is against him and him alone first. God demands life for that. He doesn't demand one situation for another situation. He demands blood for the sins that we've committed against him. So to suggest that God is somehow trying to interweave and work things out to teach this person a lesson and teach that person a lesson, again, the story of the Bible is, is nothing about God trying to even out the sinful affairs of man to teach man a lesson. It's about man being completely and utterly rebellious against God. And in their rebellion, there's a judgment that's coming, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to avert that judgment for all who would believe. No karma necessary. So let me just address it. Nothing to do with my sermon. Let me just move on. So then after that, Jesus goes to the blind man, and, uh, and you got to really put yourself in this, in this passage, right? Because he's healing a blind man. That's a physical reality, but it's actually meant to exert a, a, a spiritual reality. So this man is blind, right? And Jesus comes up, and then they come with the cause and purpose thing. Jesus says his purpose. And you got to think, this man, because he's been blind, he has a heightened sense of awareness, right? Like, in a sense, he can hear a lot better because he, because he can no longer see. Can you imagine him sitting there hearing this whole conversation, and he's like, oh, no, this just happened because, uh, because uh, God's meant to be shown through this. All right. I don't know if I was thinking. I'd be like, okay, what's he doing? Is he coming over here, or is that... What did he just spit? Is it on me? What, what did he just do? You know, and then Jesus mushed the mud together, put it on his eyes, and then tells his man to go wash. So the man goes and washed in, in the pool called Siloam, which means scent, which uh, means something. Means something for sure. But he goes and he washes himself in there, and when he comes back up, he can see. And then he goes out and he's telling everybody in the area, like, hey man, look, I was blind my entire life, and now I can see, and some guy just healed me, right? And so what's funny is this miraculous miracle happens to this man and we get varying understandings about what, what, how people would kind of process the way that this happened. You had the community people. Some of his community people were like, oh, what, what happened? Oh, is this that man? No, somebody just looks like him. So then they go and then they go and take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees again who have been, you know, the jerks that have just been trying to catch Jesus this whole time. And the Pharisees start questioning the guy, like, how did this happen? You know what I mean? It's like, did Jesus do it? And he's like, hey, man, listen, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but this guy did it. I was blind and now I can see. That's all I know, right? And then they're mad at him. Then they kick him out. Then they bring his parents in. His parents come in and they're like, hey, he's old enough. So just kind of ask him. I don't really know how it happened. You know, kind of, they kind of took the cowardly route uh, in that sense. And then after they go out, they bring the man back in. And the man says, look, why are y'all doing this? Don't, are y'all not connecting together what's happening? I was blind and now I see. Bless the Lord for that. This man did it, right? But their reaction to him, when he, he, he actually, after a while, could you imagine this guy's been blind? So he's seeing facial expressions for the first time. He's seeing people who, who he can kind of, I think he can sense their disdain for Jesus, right? So he leans in and he's like, why y'all keep asking me this? Do y'all want to be one of his disciples? And then they kind of do like this childish, like, you know, stick their tongue out at him. Like, you want to be one of his disciples, mm, right? And then they kick him out, right? 
<laughs> and they end up kicking him out. They end up kicking him out. And then Jesus comes and finds him and then completes the whole transaction of belief for him to Jesus. And then this man is saved. And then the guys hear him. And they're just like, Jesus, are we, are, we, are we also blind? And Jesus is like, pretty much, yeah, you're still blind. And that's the summary of the entire story. But here's the thing that I want to pull out is that, which will bring me to my first point. The condition, the responses that the people had to this actually are not just the people in the story, but they're actually our responses. It describes a condition. That's what brings me to my first point, the blindness that we were born with. Here's the blindness that we were born with. Three types of blindness, again, is not only, it's not only uh, entailed in these three things, but these are three things that I looked through, and I was just like, I think this, this would describe this. All right, so you look at, and first off, the blindness, we are blinded to the works of God. We are blinded to the works of God. If we look at verse 8, oh, sorry, let me pull it out real quickly. When we look at verse 8, the response of the village people or the community people, I don't know why I keep saying village people, the community people, I don't know why I just want to keep saying village people, but anyway, we all know how that happens, right? Uh, anyway, so the response to the village people, look at verse 8 and verse 9. It says, the neighbors therefore... The, the neighbors, therefore, and they which before seen him, they had saw that he was blind and said, is this not that he sat and begged? I'm sorry, King James Version. That he had not sat and begged. Where am I? Yep. All right, there it is. Uh, is it not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Do you understand that this man who has been blind since birth, these people knew him, okay? Regardless of what it looks like, they're like, no, it was somebody that looks like him. These are people that knew him. And on top of the fact that he was saying, no, I'm the guy that was, that was a beggar, right? I mean, who would deny that? Who would just say, no, no, I was not, I, yeah. I would, I would say I wasn't that guy, right? But he's clearly saying, no, I am that guy. Listen to me. I was blind and now I see. Do you see the response to these people? These people are blinded to the work of God. None of them in this passage at all was like, oh, man, bless the Lord. Thank you, man. I was trying to, you know, I tried to give you some money that one time. I know it wasn't sustainable. I know you had to beg your whole life, and I'm so sorry that your parents had to deal with this. But thank God you can see now. Their response to that is, no, couldn't be him. Couldn't be him. And some are like, no, no, no. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They're like, no, no, that's not him. That's not him. Are we not that same way? Here's what I mean. Before I was saved and I used to hear about people who were saved, you want to know my response to that used to be? Him? Oh, so now he's super Christian now, huh? Now you, you believe in Jesus? You were just this guy that was over here doing this to me. You were just this guy over here doing that, but now you're saved? Now you hold to Jesus? Yeah, whatever. I'm blinded to the fact that although there were people in my life who used to do all types of atrocities and crazy things would then say I was blind and now I can see. And my response was not to validate that you were in a life of death and now you're no longer in it. My response was so blinded to what God was doing that I would tell him that that was not true what you really did. You are really not saved. You're just faking it. That's what these people are telling this man. They're looking around and they're just going from place to place and they're just like, no, that's not that man. This can't be that man. How often do we do that? So the reality is, you would think that salvation is just a matter of people making a choice. They could have chose to believe in him, but it's something that veiled them from seeing this. Their condition was that they're blinded to the work of God. God clearly made this man see, and their response to it was not, thank you, Lord, for doing it. Their response was to either ver- uh, verify it, try to validate it, or just say, no, it really didn't happen. <clears throat> see, again, we would look at these people and think, because we know the other end of this, that we're not those people. We are that people on several things. 
even as Christians. How much of us don't think that God can do certain things in the area, even in East Cleveland? Certain things that we hear God doing, and our response to it is just like, well, man, I hope that, hope that don't turn out bad. Man, I hope that don't, hope that don't mess up, man. I just hope. We're all the while ignoring a beautiful work that God can be doing there. But if our response to it is just to completely say it didn't happen or it didn't work, we're exhibiting the same type of blindness that people before they met Christ had. This is what these people are. These people are so blinded to the work of God. It's not in a matter of they want to see. It's a matter that they cannot see God's work. And so their response to this is not to say, bless the Lord that this man can see. Their response to this is to tell the man, that's not really you. It's somebody who looks like him. This is who we are. We are blinded from God's work. Second thing that these people do, as you see, we're not just blinded from God, from the works of God. We're also blinded to who we really are. So take this picture, right? If you're a blind person in this sense, now again, this is physical, but it means a spiritual reality. If we are all spiritually blinded, it means that if the blind man would have put his hand up to his face, you think he would have been able to see his hand? Mm-mm. If somebody would have asked him, hey, man, what color are you? He would, I don't know. Hey, man, what type of shoes you got on? Jordan 7s? You know, that's, that's what I would say. But he can't see himself. Now, that's a physical reality. Spiritual reality is, in this sense, people who are blind to what God is doing, they don't even see themselves correctly up to God. Well, where am I getting this from? Look at verse 13 and verse 14. In verse 13 and verse 14, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. See, these people are looking at this situation happening. And instead of them rejoicing with the man because now he can see and he was blind, they're like, he did it on the Sabbath. <laughs> Come with me. Moral police, buddy. See, these people are so self-righteous that they don't, they don't see that they needed the same type of grace that this man got from Jesus. But they didn't care because their incorrect view about themselves had them thinking that they could just say, oh, he healed the blind. Well, I didn't heal on the Sabbath, so I didn't break the Sabbath, but he did. Let me go and take you to the moral police. Do you not see the, the, the horrific attitudes of these people? That these people do not care that this man was blind and now he can see. They're seeking to prop themselves up over this man's blindness that was just healed by Jesus. All because they are self-righteous. They don't have a correct view about themselves. So they look up to God and they tell God that I can do everything that you said we should do. So that when I die, I belong to dwell with you in heaven. So when somebody comes from death to life, in this sense, the the representation of death through a man's blindness, then to life, they look at that and they say, but he did it on the Sabbath. Wrong. Shouldn't have did it. And then they go and take him to the moral police. See, how often do we see you would look at this passage and think, man, well, that's not really, you know, that that's not me. That's not that's not really an issue that I have. And this they're just seeking to prop themselves up over someone else. We live a life like that. I mean, you think of you think of any time we're doing some type of know, some type of competition, some of us in work, some of us that even when we're doing kickball, I'm propping myself up over Ben because we whooped them last year. They were the Philistines and we were the Israelites and we beat them. But anyway, so we're always seeking to justify ourselves over other people. I mean, you look all the way back to after the fall of man happened and you look at uh, you look at Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother. And God said before him, he, he's righteous. I have regard for his, but I don't have regard for you. And he kills his brother because he says that, well, if God has no one to, to compare me to, then I'll be okay. Because honestly, I really am righteous. But God has it wrong. 
We are still those same people, blinded, do not see ourselves correctly related to God. That's what other world religions are seeking to do. Other world religions are seeking to look up to God and say, there's something wrong. And the thing that's wrong is we're not following all the rules. So let me follow them all. And then at the end of my life, God, I'm going to make it up there with you in heaven and we'll be straight. Right. Problem solved. That's the incorrect view of themselves. See, no one looks at themselves as in this condition of being completely fallen, being completely blinded, not knowing the way to God, not seeing the works of God, not even knowing who God is. They look and they think that they are actually people that can dwell with God, not realizing that they are blinded the entire time. And these people clearly show it. A man comes from death to life and their response is he did it on the Sabbath. So let me go and take you over here to the moral police because we didn't do anything on the Sabbath, but he did. What horrible people are we? This is our condition before Jesus. We're not looking to give grace or compassion to anyone else. We're only looking to prop ourselves up. And the reality is we have an incorrect view about ourselves because we're blinded to the works of God. Therefore, we're blinded to who we really are. And as a third point of that is that we're actually blinded to who God truly is. Well, where am I getting that from? Well, if you look, uh, you look further down, I'm sorry. Kind of lost my place there. If you look further down, when this man goes and he's talking to Jesus, I mean, he's talking to the people and the Pharisees, it says some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. You understand that these whole for the for the last five chapters of this book, we've been seeing these these Pharisees, these antagonists going to Jesus and they're walking up to Jesus this whole time. And Jesus is telling them who they are. Jesus is God in the flesh and they want to kill him. It wasn't like they just played him like he was just crazy. They said, no, this guy's a sinner. He deserves death. See, when we're blinded, we're blinded. We cannot see God and see who he truly is. So Jesus came right in front of them physically, in physical form. Jesus came in front of them who was God, and they didn't recognize him. This is our condition. We think of salvation, and we think that we're engaging people, and we're trying to talk to people, and we're asking them, oh, why don't you consider the things of Jesus? And then they're just like, yeah, no, Jesus is this, Jesus is that, I'm not listening to it, whatever, da-da-da. And we think it's just a matter of, if I can just change his mind, if I can just bring up some intellectual thing that will kind of back him into a corner and rest him down, then he will acknowledge Jesus. No. The Bible is pointing to us that it's a spiritual reality. That before someone can actually see who God truly is, they would have to see themselves for who they are. And they would have to see God's work, and they would have to know who God truly is. But they can't. It's not a matter of they won't. The won't aspect is definitely in there. But as spiritually broken people, they cannot see God for who he truly is. These are the type of people that we see in this passage. See, we all, we all were blinded like that. We all had no clue what God was doing, had no clue who we really are, had no clue who God was. And in this, it wasn't just because we chose not to, but it was the reality that our condition could not allow us to. Why? Because we're all fallen creatures in a fallen world, and we don't naturally relate to God correctly. See, that's why the beauty of this is that the man was like this since the beginning. Uh, it says since he was born. It was never a day that this man could see anything. We are born into sin. We are born blind. We are not born knowing or seeing God. We cannot go to God unless God comes to us. This will lead me to my second point right here. If that is the the, the blindness that we are born with, then what is the sight that we need? 
you know, I like to follow, you know, clear themes the whole way. So, of course, it'd be kind of the opposite of everything I just pointed in the first one. But first, we would need a site that acknowledges God's work. Look at verse 31. Uh, look at verse 17 first. Verse 17, it says, so they said again to the blind man, who do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. Let me, let me explain. You know, this man never saw Jesus. OK, like if you follow the, the account chronologically, he was still blind when Jesus told him to go to the pool of Siloam. So this man never saw Jesus at all. OK, somehow from the time that he walked, he's like, OK, I'm going to go wash myself. He goes to wash himself and he can see and he's going around telling everybody about it. All the while, never, ever have seen Jesus at that moment. At that whole time, he knew evidently this guy's got to be from God. You see him kind of putting the pieces together. See, in order for us to be, um, when we become unblinded, when Jesus removes the blindness and gives us sight, now we can actually see the works of God. This man didn't walk around and say, hey, man, somebody, it was some type of mysticism that happened, and he just kind of healed me, and now I can see, and da 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 No, no, no. He instantly noticed that when this happened, this was a work of God and a work of God alone. See, we need the sight that can be able to see that when there's something going on, when God is working, we can actually tell this is really God at work. And this man is telling that from the very beginning, this had to do with God. This was nothing else. It was no scientific thing that could explain this. This was God at work in my life. He removed my blindness and now I can see. We would need sight that can tell exactly this is God's work. This is God who is doing this. And the beauty of it, this man through this whole passage here, he's, he's figuring out who Jesus is. Again, he never saw him. He goes from he's a prophet to then he's sinless and then toward the end he's worshiping him. He's saying from the very beginning that in order for this to happen, this has to be a work of God. That's what he's acknowledging. How many of us look at our condition or the condition that we had as it just being some of God and then some of us? No, 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 no. This man realized that in order for this to happen, this had to be a work and a work of God alone, only. And you see this is exactly what this man is doing. This man just comes right up and he says, man, he's a prophet. It's got something to do with God. This happened because of God. We need sight that can tell that this is only a work of God that could do this. Secondly, we would need a sight that tells us exactly who we are and what is our need. Look at verse 25. And this, this is a really, really simple, really, really simple uh, part right here. That in verse 25, probably one of, the, one of my most favorite verses, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Do you see that this man, again, meant to explain a spiritual reality, but just, but just shown through a physical reality, this man wasn't sitting by the road like, I don't need sight. He wasn't doing that. <laughs> this man wasn't sitting by the road like, no, no, I'm okay, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry. I, I'll make it. I'll make it. This man was sitting by the road realizing that he needed something. That's why he was a beggar. He, was, he needed something. He saw himself correctly in the sense that he saw himself as being someone who's in need. See, in order for, when God reverses our blindness to sight, we actually see that God is at work. And it's only a work of God. But that we would need something to happen to us. That not we could do, but only God can do it himself. See, if we think that God saved us and now we can just kind of, again, now we can follow rules and we can make it all the way up there, then Christ died for nothing. We need God to finish the work. We cannot do it on our own. This was a man that saw himself as in need. He knew he had a need. And he wasn't, he wasn't ashamed of that need. He knew that he needed it. 
For us, we need the sight that lets us understand that as we look to a holy and just God, that we are not righteous before him and that we need to be changed in some way, shape or form, some way that we cannot do in order for us to see God rightly. And this man acknowledged right here from the very beginning, I was a man in need. I needed something. And that need was met and it wasn't something that I did to get it. See, this is the sight that we need. As we're groping around in darkness looking for God, we need to understand who we really are before a holy and just God. You think of Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6, Isaiah goes and he looks, to, he looks when he finally sees the glory of God, and he says, oh my gosh, I'm ruined. I'm unraveled. See, you want to know what he saw? He saw the glory of God rightly. And once he saw the glory of God rightly, he saw who he really was before a holy and just God. And he said, I'm not worthy. And then God made propitiation for him. He came and put the coal to his mouth. He saw that it was a work that only God could do in order for him to be able to look on God rightly, see himself correctly, in order for him to correct, connect to God correctly. This is the same thing. How often are we, as people who are blinded, go and think that we are somebody that needs something? We are in need. But unfortunately, as long as we do have our actual sight, as long as we do have everything on this earth that we can think of, and as long as we think that we do have Jesus, we don't take into account our condition or where our condition was. And in that, we don't think that we ever were really in need. We just thought that we just slipped on ice, and then my bigger brother helped me up, and we're all just kind of skating on ice together. How many of us, like the person falling off of the cliff, actually saw that somebody caught him because there was no way that he can save himself? We needed to see ourselves in need, see ourselves correctly. And as a result, this man, he had sight to see, he had, sorry, he had the sight to acknowledge God's work. He has the sight to see that he was in need, but he also had the sight to see who God truly was. Let's look at verse 35 through verse uh, 38. In verse 35 and verse 38, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. See, did you see, did you see all through this passage, this man first is just like, man, I can see this was a prophet. And then as he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's just like, man, listen, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, right? First time ever in life that somebody has ever healed, since the beginning of the world, he actually says, somebody has ever made a blind man be able to see. And he's like, God doesn't listen to sinners, so if this man was able to do it, I don't think this man was a sinner. He goes from he's a prophet to I don't think this man is a sinner. So then in this passage, it says, Jesus comes to him and said, do you want to believe in the son of man? And in this, when he's talking about the son, the son of man, this is just, again, we talked about this at the Vision Bible study. It's just in Daniel 7, the son of man was, was a title to a, heavenly creed, to a heavenly being who had all authority, who was deity who had all authority, who actually was God. And we point back to that in Daniel 7. And this is one of the things that Jesus always says about himself. Like, do you like the son of man? It has other implications, but in this, he's saying, do you believe that I am God, essentially? And this man is saying, who is he so that I can see him? Because, again, he never saw Jesus until this point, until Jesus found him. And we'll talk about that later, too. But when, he, when Jesus actually finds him and he says, and he, he goes and he says, I do believe, and he worshiped him. So we talked about, you know, I've talked about this before. I think, you know, do the Greek thing in a passage. I think it's kind of nerdy. You know what I mean? I've talked to my other nerdy people. You know, we can like, oh, yeah, the Greek says this. The Greek says that. I think it's nerdy to do in a sermon, but I'm going to do it. This word worship here is, is uh, am I saying it right, Daniel? Proskuneo. Yeah, see? Daniel's a scholar right there. Proskuneo. And, this, and this, mean, this means in worshiping, it means to kiss the hand of deity. See, this man didn't just say, oh, your God. All right. 
No, no, no. This man bowed as one who would worship only to God. See, this man thought he was a prophet, put together that this man was sinless, but then also realized, hey, man, this man here is God. He is the God man. Do you not see the beauty of this? That this man, although being healed, being healed physically, his spiritual implication was that God was only the one that could switch the light from darkness to light. And through that, he starts to see God is at, God is at work, but I need to see a work of God. And he'll start to see that I'm not holy and, and I need someone to save me. And then he goes and says, but if God would come down in human form and would save me, then I could actually be saved. And this man will be able to see this. Only through what Jesus did, the implication of what Jesus did, helped him understand that only God could do a work like this. See, again, Jesus is making that same claim as everybody, every different religion wants to say that Jesus is this and Jesus is that. Jesus is saying, clear as day right here, that he is God in the flesh. And he's given this man sight to see that. What a beautiful sight this was. Let me lead to my last and third point. It's the one who gives sight to the blind. The one who gives sight to the blind. See, the thing about the one who gives sight to the blind, which, you know, I'll tell you all straight up, it was Jesus, okay? I know you all were wondering, cliffhanger. No, it's Jesus. There it is. But Jesus, see, look at the passage before this. In verse 1, again, we talk about our condition before God. We would need someone who, just like Jesus, look at verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. See, this is also one of my favorite passages of this because this man is blind, right? So the implication is that he didn't see Jesus, correct? And he didn't wander up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus saw him first. Do you see the beauty of that? How often do we as Christians think that that Jesus was at some place and then we just ran and found him and then, oh, he saved us? No, no, no. We were blinded, groping around in darkness, not knowing how to get to him. But he saw us first. What a beauty, what a beautiful, beautiful truth to see that God would see us first. See, in our, in our need, in our condition, we would need someone to see us first because if we can't see them, there's no way we can get to them. But Jesus saw this man and he saw this man and had compassion on him and he healed this man. This is the same thing Jesus did for us. For those who would cling to Jesus, Jesus saw us. See, I don't know if you remember the, the one time where whenever it was for me, it was back in 2008 where I'm sitting inside my basement. And for some very odd reason, my life was at an all time low. And I got this inward desire, this inward understanding that I needed a savior. See, God saw me far before I saw him, far before I could ever see him. Why? Because I can't see him. I would need someone who can bring sight to my blindness, but he would see me first. And this is the beauty here. How much of we as Christians will start to understand that our relationship with Christ is not something that we did. It's just not. It's just not. See, because sometimes we have this perspective that once we're saved, now after we're saved, well, then we can just work our way up. All of these lists of things that God said we should do or all the things that God said we shouldn't do. And wrong. God said, you're still the same better. The only difference is I saved you. You didn't save you. How often do we cling to this truth in our everyday reality? That as we see people as Christians, we have to remind ourselves that if we saved us, I can be unsaved the next day. Next time I had a thought, I would unsave myself if I saved myself. But the reality of this is that God saved us and he saw us in our state where some of us, I don't know how it happened for you. Some of you may have been at the top, at the top doing everything that you thought you would possibly do. And in that, you were confronted with your reality of being needed, of needing a savior. It's not because you fished around for that. It's because it came to you. 
Because God saw you. Look at the beauty of the one who gave sight to the blindness, that he sees us first. And he comes to us. Second thing that he does is in order for this person, in order for, for God or Jesus to come to us and heal us, again, he would have to not be a sinner like us. So we look at verse 31 and 33 again. This is the man starting to piece this stuff together. And he's piecing it together when he's confronted with the Pharisees. And he says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Do you see the beauty of salvation in this? Is that he's actually saying that in order for this person to flip this this blindness over to sight, he couldn't be a sinner like us. Why? Because God doesn't listen to sinners as they would understand in this. That anything beautiful that could actually happen, taking someone from a condition from death to life can't be done by a sinner. Someone who's just like us. This is why we needed God to come in the flesh and be sinless. Because he could accomplish something that we could never do in our sin. Why? Because we're blinded. Our condition before God is one of complete and utter blindness. We cannot save ourselves, nor do we know how to. But the one who would come will be completely and utterly sinless. And he will offer his sinless life for all of those who who were groping around in darkness, for all of those who rejected God completely ever since birth. And don't get it wrong, just because you were born into sin, it doesn't mean that you have not actively taken hold to sin as well. You know, just the other day, my, my son, who's one, barely putting words together. You know, it's like this little, we got this little mop inside the kitchen. And, he, and, and, I, and I told him, like, here, you see him back there. Yep, there he is. He knows I'm talking about him. And, and we got this little mop inside the kitchen. And, and, he, and, and I keep telling him, son, no, stop, no, right? And sometimes I think he, he, he gets what I'm saying. Like, he knows. Kids know, like, hey, man, don't do that. And he's like, okay, all right, dad, I got you, right? And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't stand up like, why, yes, father, I am so sorry that I've ever done this to you. Let me walk away and do as you would like me to. No, no, no. I walked away. I was like, all right, son, stop that. And then I came back, and he was messing with it like this. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, and then went up and, <laughs> and tried to get lifted up for me. And I was like, you little sinner, how did you know deception already? <laughs> See, we're born into this. This isn't something that we learn. Over time, we get crappier at it. But the reality is that we're born into sin. And it's not that sin just happens to us, but we actively take part in it as well. But Jesus will come and flip that for those who would believe in him, for those who would see themselves rightly. See that it can only be a work of God in order for them to be transformed from darkness to light and to see themselves the reality of who they are and to actually look to God and see who he is completely in order for Jesus. He would turn them over and say that I will be treated like you, your blindness. Every time that you've went to the father and you've offered up all these fake lights to him, I will go to him and I will be treated like you so that you can be treated like me to him. This is the beauty of the gospel message, that Jesus will come and see us in our blindness, and he will come and he will lift us up, and he would show us who he really is and show us who we really are. But then he would make propitiation for us through his blood to God. This is the gospel message. We didn't save ourselves. We could never save ourselves. We needed somebody to pull us out of our condition. We could never work out of our condition. And this is what Jesus did. And the reality is, as Christians, here's the application for this. Wouldn't this make us more humble as Christians? If we truly, truly believed that God saw us where we were, wasn't anything that we did, wouldn't this make you more humble? 
See, I know for me, I can't look upon somebody else who has some type of need. As we're in a spiritual world, as we're in a world that people are spiritually blind, I can't look upon those needs and walk away like some of the, the village people, I, I got to say it, the village people, <laughs> and just walk away and just say, <laughs> and just walk away and just say, hey, man, we need to check this guy because it's not, it's, no, 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 no. God saw him and saw compassion on him. He had compassion for this man, and he went and he healed him. As Christians, will we not have the same compassion for other people? Because if I thought that I worked myself out of my salvation, then that's the point that I need to tell people, right? Hey, man, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to stop smoking. You need to stop drinking. You'll be like me. You can be saved, okay? No, 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 no. The reality is that Jesus came. He saw me. He grabbed me. And for that reason, I have no reason. I don't know. I can't tell you why he saved me. I was the worst of the worst. I have no clue. But for some odd reason, while I was sitting at the, on, on the edge of the road and I'm blind, I have no way to get back to him. Jesus picked my eyes up, put anointed them, and then told me to go watch as he was sent. And then he said, you can now see. And I saw beautifully who he was. And I saw who I was. And I saw my need for, 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 for a sacrifice to be taken for me. This is what a couple chapters later Jesus would offer. Jesus would offer the sacrifice for all of those who would believe in him. So we cannot pull ourselves out of this condition, but he would have to. Secondly, this would also, wouldn't this make us a, a, a people that are bold as well as Christians? You look at this man. This man wasn't just like, hey, man, now that I can see, let me just, you know, let me just, I'm going to go look around. Let me just kind of sightsee. This man ran around and told people, hey, I don't know, but this man healed me. I was blind and now I see. You see the beauty of that? It's, it's just a simple testimony. As Christians, how often do we give that simple testimony? Where we just say, hey, listen, I don't know about you. I can't talk about all of these little things that I would say that I've done or other things that I've... All I can say is that I was blind and now I see and it was Jesus that did it. You don't understand how powerful of a testimony that is. For some people who, who knew me in my previous life would come up to me and they'd ask me like, oh, Paul, I'm glad to see you're doing positive things. I'm glad to see you're doing... And I have to stop them. And I'm like, hey, man, listen, I'm not, I didn't try this. This is not just something I'm trying to do to be a better person. For some odd reason, I was blind and now I can see. And all I know is that it was this man, Jesus, that did it. Just a simple testimony. The boldness of it all. He's walking around telling everybody. He's willing to stand up to the moral police and let them know, hey, man, this man healed me. Don't you you want to be one of his disciples? He healed me. How bold could this make this? But let me get you to the last part right here, which is so beautiful. After this man has just been kicked out again. I think this man has just been kicked out of the synagogue. They flogged him. They, they were just like, you know, whatever you're, 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 you're whatever you are. And then they, they just walked away from him. And he's sitting down by himself. And we see once again that seek. It says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? You see how Jesus completes the transaction here? That Jesus doesn't just save you and send you off from your life. But he saves you into community with him. He seeks this man after he just lost all community, all his even desire. He could have had sight and from this point on been an active member of the synagogue. He could have sat under Gamaliel. He could have did all of this other type of stuff. But he goes and says, this man, Jesus, who you call a sinner, is not because he healed me. And he lost all of his, any type of social person that was around him just rejected him at this point. Because he was willing to leverage it all for Jesus. But Jesus came to him and said, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, yes, I do. And he fell down and worshiped him. 
and the beauty of this, God calling him into a relationship with him and asking him to leverage his social interaction for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what this man did. This is kind of a funny thing that I got to give uh, an understanding to toward the very end is that the, disciples, the, uh, the Pharisees hear this and they said, some of them near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, now that you see, we see, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. For the non-Christian, do you understand that in this, what, this, what Jesus is saying right here is that if you are walking around thinking that you do have spiritual sight, apart from someone, apart from the God-man healing your sight, that you will see this light that Jesus is coming to the world and you'll close your eyes to it and run away from it. See, this is what he's talking to the Pharisees about, that the light of the world has come. And you think you see, but when the light of the world has actually come, you actually close your eyes and turn your face away and run away from them, therefore remaining in your blindness. For the non-Christian, don't look at this as just one of these crazy stories of a miracle or like a, I don't Ernest Angley situation. No, no, no. This has something, a deeper implication. That if God does not heal your spiritual sight, your guilt will remain and you will die of your sins. But bless the Lord that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to heal that sight so that you can see him correctly and have your sins forgiven through the one who will come and die on the cross for all who will believe who would die, resurrect, and ascend into heaven and send the Holy Spirit to live within us as a seal and as a mark to be that, for, to, to, to be redeemed unto God. Bless this beautiful truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have, you've healed us, Lord. For those who believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have removed, that you've removed the blinders, Father. A thing that we could never do for ourselves, but that you did for us, Father. For we were blind and now we see. Lord, we thank you so much for the reality of this, Father. For the beauty that I cannot save myself, but that you saw pity on me and you saved me, Father. For your goodwill, not mine, Father. Lord, we thank you so much for this reality. Bless us to go into the world and engage with people who are still spiritually blind, seeing them compassionately, seeing them as someone who is blind and needs their spiritual sight, Father. But we go to them boldly and, dis- and, and exclaim that it was only Jesus who removed our blinders so that we can see. It can only be Jesus who can remove their blinders so that they can see. Bless us to take this beautiful truth to all of the world, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.